This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. happened over a month ago 2020 nfl draft happened a month ago and the next one it's not going to happen for another 10 11 months so why on earth are are you listening to an nfl draft podcast that's just now starting in the middle of june because it's always draft season you know that i know that brian perez knows that my name is Luke Easterling, and we are going to talk about the NFL draft every week for the entire year because that's what we do. We do it on podcasts. We do it on Twitter. We do it on any social media. We do it on blogs. We do it everywhere at work, at home. We're texting people because it never stops. It never stops. It is always draft season. That's what this show is called. That's what this show is going to be about. My name is Luke Easterling. I'm the editor at DraftWire part of the, the USA Today uh, Wire Network. I'm joined by my good friend, one of my oldest friends in this business. Brian, we have been talking about doing this for so long, and, and there's just so much I can't, get, can't wait to get to. I'm looking forward to this. Um, dude, we, we're, we're doing this. We're finally doing this. It's the middle of June, and we're going to do this, right? We're going to do this show about something that never stops. Well, look, if you're a real NFL draft fan, draft writer, so-called draft analyst, even if you want to call yourself a draft expert draft season never ever ever stops there's no such thing as a calendar when it comes to draft season we're sitting here like you said luke it's june most normal human beings are not paying attention to the nfl draft but us we eat breathe sleep drink this stuff i can go all the way back to the early 90s the days of drew bledsoe versus rick meyer one of the great early quarterback debates in nfl draft history in my personal nfl draft history and you fast forward it to Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf and, and all the fantastic storylines that come out of an NFL draft cycle. You live for this stuff, man. If you know the NFL draft, if you feel that passion for the NFL draft, you know exactly what we're talking about. And we're going to bring that passion to you guys every week with our own take, our own spin. We know there's other draft podcasts out there. There's a lot of other draft writers out there, and we're just here to complement the industry. We're here to supplement some of the stuff that they do. We hope we can be added to your rotation of football and draft podcasts. Because, Luke, we're going to talk football too, man. This isn't just the NFL draft. We're going to hit on all 32 teams, college, pro, fantasy ball. But, again, this is NFL draft first, last, and everything in between. 
Well, and that's the beauty, I think, of the draft in and of itself and the thing that has always drawn me to it, I think, as someone who's personally been a bigger college football fan than a, a pro football fan for most of my life. I love the, the marriage of, of those two levels of football, and it happens via the draft. And what happens is, you know, obviously the Super Bowl is the biggest event in sports. Everybody wants to see the Super Bowl, and it's the championship, and that's the thing. But the, the draft is about everybody. It gives hope for every franchise, every fan base. It's a chance for you to try to think to yourself, why does my team have a shot this year? Why is this new guy that we're adding, why are these picks, this draft class, going to make this the year? Why is, it, is, is that going to be the case? So I, I think that that's what always drew me to the draft. It's what continues to draw me to the draft, and I think a lot of other people, is that it, it's, it's an event of hope for every fan base, and it's something everybody can take part in, unless you're a Houston Texans fan, because Bill O'Brien trades away all your picks. And, and you're right, Luke. Hope is arguably the most powerful feeling a person can have in any walk of life, no matter what it is. If you're hoping for a promotion in your job, you're hoping for better luck in your romantic life, you're hoping for more financial success down the road. Hope really does motivate people to enjoy their day a little more. Without hope, you really got nothing. And the NFL draft, like you said, it's not only just about hope. It also bridges the gap. You know, NFL, the NFL football is America's passion. Uh, we see that actually right now with what's going on with the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, baseball is sitting on the sidelines. Basketball is going to come back with this strange round-robin type of tournament or hockey, whichever sport is doing that. But what everybody really cares about is, is football coming back. Like, let's just make sure football season – doesn't get screwed up that it's on time it starts on time and every year the football fan goes through that drought of no games after the Super Bowl finishes you hit that patch of off-season transactions and free agency and whatnot and then comes the draft it's like the light at the end of the tunnel it bridges last season to the next season it bridges failed a failed season in the past Hope that wasn't realized with the rookie saviors, that first round quarterback, that first round, you know, stud wide receiver, edge rusher. It gives the fan base that new jolt of energy. And I think as I was a kid growing up and, you know, as a Bears fan, we've gone through some pretty dark times since 1985. And the NFL draft was basically our Super Bowl every single year. So that, that draft feeling, that draft process was the same playoff emotion, that same Super Bowl emotion in my formative years as a football fan, which led to ultimately wanting to study the craft and understanding what is it about a player at a specific position that makes a general manager or a coach say, that's my guy. Whether it's the obvious stuff like speed and athleticism and, and a quarterback throwing an accurate pass to just the other stuff, the stuff he can't test the stuff you can't figure out on film what makes a guy tick what makes a guy successful on the nfl level because all these guys are amazing athletes all these guys are amazing football players they're the best in the world they're drafted for a reason but they also wash out of the league for a reason and trying to figure out what that reason is is an endless quest and that endless quest can only be filled 12 months a year it's true, man. And, and again, the, 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 the process is so fascinating because the, the variables are infinite for every prospect and every team, every situation, coaching staff, scheme, injuries. There's so many things that 
like you said, you can measure and you can plan for, but there are far more things that you can't plan for. You can't, uh, you know, predict are going to happen. And, and I think that's why it's, you know, people always want to crack the code when it comes to the draft, right? You want to have your grading scale and you want to, you know, tweak the sliders here and there to try to churn out the perfect result when it comes to projecting these guys. And let's just be honest with ourselves. It's never, if it was going to happen, it would have happened by now. And the minute it does happen, all the teams are going to, you know, try to replicate that. It's just never going to be the case. It's, it's far more of an art than a science. And, and it's, again, it's just, it makes it endlessly fascinating to me because we're never going to be able to crack that code, but man, are we going to have a fun time trying in the meantime? So, you know, when you talk about the history of the draft and how you first got into it and, and what made you kind of, you know, have this, this insatiable interest in it that allows you to go through an entire year and think about everything through the draft lens, that conversation starts at the quarterback position, does it not? Every single year, what drives this event is who are the quarterbacks? How are they going to go? What teams need that guy? Who's going to be the next Patrick Mahomes? Who's going to be the next Peyton Manning? Do these guys have a chance to save a franchise? Because let's be honest, those guys that go at the top never go to good teams. So, you know, there's so many variables, so much, especially at the quarterback position, so much that rides on the quarterback class every year. And if you have a weak one, you know, I, I go back to what was it? 2013 was, was a draft class that just didn't have much of anything. And when you don't have quarterbacks to save a weak class, uh, it can really, you know, be disappointing. Um, and that, that, that takes us into the 2021 class. We've, we, we don't have a, we're not hurting for that. We, we've got potential star power in this class and, and I'll get your thoughts first on it, Brian. What is your first impression on the 2021 quarterback class heading into this college football season? If you're a bad team and you need a quarterback, congratulations. You're going to hit the mother load in 2021 because there are at least two guys in Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields who I believe have everything teams look for in a franchise quarterback. And before we dive too deep or, or, or fall into this rabbit hole too far, Let's just set out a little disclaimer for you listeners out there. Obviously, this is a very early, early takes on these quarterbacks. There's a lot of football that needs to be played, hopefully. There's a lot of football that needs to be played in 2020, and, and we see it all the time. Players who in June or July are ranked at the top of position rankings or at the top or near the top of big boards end up free-falling, and you forget they even existed basically by November and December. Is, is that possible with these quarterbacks? I think the answer is for the first time in a long time, absolutely not. I don't think these guys are going to free fall, but is it possible a player like Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields regresses just enough to maybe not be in the mix for the number one pick? Maybe they suffer an injury like Tua Tungvaluwa had last year to where the number one pick suddenly becomes a more wide open race. Of course, those are variables that impact every single draft. But if we're going based on what we know right now, based on what we've seen up to this point, if you are a team picking with the first two selections, chances are you're going to need a quarterback. And if you do, this is going to be just a, a walk in the park, being able to tab your next guy uh, between Lawrence and Fields. Trevor Lawrence, for me personally, Luke, I mean, you know, the funny thing about the draft is there's always the next, right? He's the next, this guy. He's the next Andrew Luck. He's the best quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck. Now, I don't necessarily use that phraseology. I just think Trevor Lawrence is the first of his kind. He's the first Trevor Lawrence type prospect. And what does that mean? 
this dude checks every single box from a franchise quarterback standpoint. If you are looking for a guy who checks the size, athletic ability, arm strength, accuracy, pedigree, winner, top flight competition, healthy, durable, strong. I mean, whatever your quarterback checklist is, and we've seen, Luke, you and I have talked off air many times about all these new grading systems that, you know, the modern era of the draft analyst has where they have 75 different position specifics and you need a math degree to figure out whether they think a guy is good or not. You can throw all that out the window. Trevor Lawrence is a stud and he's going to be the number one pick, period. You know, I think what's interesting with Lawrence is you talk about how he is so unique. He is the first of his kind. I think the evidence of that is if you look at last year's tape as opposed to his freshman season, you can really see where he kind of sophomore slumped a little bit. You you can see moments and throws where you're like, man, that, that's not going to make the highlight reel. I don't know what he was seeing there. You know, accuracy was off at times. He had He had some lumps last season and, and some valleys that he went through. And we're still talking about how he's absolutely a lock to, to go number one. He, he came down from the mountaintop a little bit last season and is still that far up the list and, and is still talked about by just about everybody as being, of course, that's going to be the guy, no matter who gets that pick. You know, right now, if you're going off Super Bowl odds, the Washington Redskins are the number one pick in the draft if you use that as, as many of us do. I don't know about you. If I do a mock draft, I use the Super Bowl odds just so nobody can yell at me about who I put number one and who I have winning the Super Bowl. I can blame it on, uh, you know, the odds makers, and I don't have to deal with that. But say you're the Redskins, if you end up picking number one, you just took Dwayne Haskins two years ago at number 15. You're still taking Trevor Lawrence at number one. It doesn't matter. It's a, it's a Kyler Murray, Josh Rosen situation. You're, you're still going to take that guy. So I think that that says just as much about how good Trevor Lawrence has been and can be that he kind of regressed a good bit last season and is still so far ahead of the pack. Um, I think that, that, that just, that says it all. He, he does have all those uh, traits. You mentioned Justin Fields. I think he's got, again, a little bit more um, volatility to his stock, maybe a bit of a chance to, to slip a little bit, but you know, there's another guy who's, who's lurking outside that, that top two, that might have a lot to say about that in North Dakota State's Trey Lance. What are your, your initial thoughts on, on Lance, having watched him a little bit, and, and do you think he can jump either of those two guys, get into the top five conversation, which we saw Carson Wentz do a few years back? Let me just real quick circle back to Trevor Lawrence. I think his early season struggles last year actually strengthened his scouting report, and here's why. You want to see a player – come back from adversity, maybe starts not playing the best ball that he has at least shown in the past and finish strong. He did. I mean, we saw the Trevor Lawrence that we were expecting at the end of the season. We just didn't see him all year. His, his ability to respond to that, to not fall into the, you know, go in the corner, get in the fetal position and, and, you know, whimper the season away. The fact that he responded, that's the kind of character. You can't figure out what's inside a guy's head, Luke. You don't know how much they want it, how bad they want it. Can they rise to the occasion? So anytime you have an opportunity to see a player on film throughout the course of a season, get better, even when his best is untouchable and he still gets better throughout the year. I think that is what makes him even more of a lock to be the number one pick. 
Well, and, and honestly, if, if that's what you want to see from Trevor Lawrence, if that's going to be something that adds to his stock, we're in for a season that, that might be full of that. You know, you look at the, the receiving core that he's going to go into the season with now that uh, it looks like Justin Ross, his top receiver, is going to be out for the year with a back injury. Uh, I mean, who's going to step up in terms of pass catchers? Thank God he's got Travis Etienne coming back in that backfield to kind of balance out the, the offense. But this will be a season where Trevor Lawrence will have to prove I can be the guy no matter who I'm throwing to, no matter who is out there. Of course, let's be honest, it's Clemson. They're, they're not going to throw, uh, you know, <laughs> they're not going to be struggling to find talent to put out their skill positions. But, you know, it, it's not like the, the guys that, you know, he's had in recent years. Or you look back at the guys Deshaun Watson had prior to him uh, and even some of the guys that, uh, that Kelly Bryant had. The, that receiver class is not as proven as it has been for other Clemson quarterbacks and even ones that he's dealt with before. So if, if you're all about seeing Trevor Lawrence overcome adversity, we're going to have to see him do it this year because there's just there's not a lot of proven success at the receiver position. And it's also going to reveal some of the draft analysts who kind of maybe go with the weather a little bit with the way they assess quarterbacks. Because if you don't factor in the fact that he is going to have a less talented wide receiving core into his final stats. We know his stats will not be as good as they've been over the last two years. They can't be. I mean, yes, ETN will probably shoulder some of the lost receiving production, and that could flip a five-yard pass into a 55-yard touchdown, which inflates Lawrence's numbers a little bit. But Lawrence's stats will probably not be nearly as impressive in 2020, but who cares? I mean, if you're scouting the box score, you will have something to say about that. If you're scouting the talent and the traits, and the physical ability of Trevor Lawrence, you're going to ignore it. And you can't have it both ways. You can't knock a guy like Tua Tungavailoa and say, well, look at the all-world wide receivers he was throwing to and use that as a negative in his scouting report and not take the opposite into consideration for Trevor Lawrence and say, if, if you are so concerned about a quarterback with elite stats throwing to elite receivers – then you should be willing to give a quarterback like Trevor Lawrence a little bit of slack if he doesn't have the highest level absolute superstar wide receiver core that he's throwing to because the opposite's also true. Elite receivers might produce elite stats, but also you know, less quality pass catchers might hurt a player's stats a little bit. So you have to find that balance somewhere in between where you're not overrating production, but you're also not overrating lack of production it has to be a happy medium but going back to to Lance the North Dakota State guy look again I I am a little bit of an old school quarterback guy I can't sit here and say that a player like Trey Lance at what was he 19 years old last year his first season starting look it was a phenomenal year there's no denying that and and when he's on the field he is absolutely positively a dynamic playmaker. He's got, he's got an NFL arm. He can make plays with his legs. You can't ignore his level of competition. I know there's a Carson Wentz comparison, and everyone's going to go to the Carson Wentz well when arguing in favor of Trey Lance. But, you know, how many Carson Wentzes are really, you know, can you really use as exhibits in the case for Lance? There's not that many Carson Wentzes. And we got to see another season from him. I mean, I remember when – Deshaun Kaiser was going into his final season at Notre Dame. He was like the lock to be the number one pick. Yeah, look what happened to him. 
and by no means am I comparing Trey Lance to, to Deshaun Kaiser as an apples to apples comparison, but let's pump the brakes a little bit. I think if we're going to go off of one big season of production, the arrows got to point way more to Justin Fields than Trey Lance. You know, the interesting thing about the Carson Wentz comparison, it speaks to a bigger issue that I have sometimes when you talk about draft analysts and the way we talk about these things. It's that if you have to point to the exception as a reason to, to be for a guy or proof that this guy can do X, Y, or Z, that's actually an argument to the other, to, to the other side, I think. I think if, if you say, well, well, this one guy did X, Y, or Z, so this guy can definitely do it. But like, yeah, you realize that the, the vast majority of the uh, examples are on the other side of that when you pick the exception. So, yes, you can have a guy like Carson Wentz. You and I were in Mobile when Carson Wentz was at the Senior Bowl. We saw him take over the huddle. We saw him show the leadership in addition to those physical qualities that he showed up. And we knew right away, we're like, oh, this guy is legit. That's nothing to do with where he played, who he played against, and all of that stuff. We just knew he's, he's got the goods. He's that guy. So when I look at Trey Lance, I'm not excited about him because – of what Carson Wentz did. I'm excited about Trey Lance because of what I've seen Trey Lance do. 28 touchdown passes and no interceptions is great if you're playing against your brothers in the backyard. So, I, I mean, I'm excited to see what he can do. I hope he continues to live up the hype. I hope he doesn't regress, and I hope he's in that conversation as we move to next year because, like you said, it's always more fun when you have more quarterbacks to talk about. Justin Fields is a guy who I watched play last year at Ohio State, and I look at Jake Fromm playing at Georgia and I'm like how on earth is this the decision that was made in Athens Georgia I mean again no disrespect to the Georgia program but my gosh as a prospect as a player and again it's hard to speak to some of those intangible things and who was like what in the locker room I don't know all that but when you're talking about playing football there is a galaxy of talent between what I saw from Justin Fields at Ohio state last year and what we saw from Jake Fromm, who was the reason he transferred out. So I'm very excited about both of those guys. I do think their stock is a little volatile, could go in, in either direction, depending on how they play this year, but I'm excited about both of them. And I think all three of these guys have a legitimate chance to be top five quarterbacks next year. Yeah, with Fields. I mean, one of the things that we don't know, and one of the things that scouts who actually do it for a living and are on the road traveling from, program to program. We don't know what Justin Fields practice habits were like when he was a young player at Georgia. We don't know if it's just a personality clash with the coaching staff. There's a lot of different reasons why. And also Jake Fromm, even though he probably has a relatively low ceiling as an NFL starter, he was a solid college quarterback in the SEC. He won a lot of games and threw a lot of touchdown passes and was, was, a quality starter. So you can understand if a Georgia program felt like, look, an experienced veteran like Fromm who can, you know, manage the offense and put us in positions to win a lot more games than we'll lose versus Fields, who until he was actually unleashed by Ohio State, there was he was still somewhat of just a all-world high school recruit. And nobody really knows. We've seen we see five-star kids after five-star kids wash out when they get to the college level, just like we see first-round picks wash out in the NFL. So you don't know what a kid can do until he actually has a shot. And fortunately for Ohio State, he proved that he's the real deal. And I don't really agree, Luke, about a lot of volatility with Justin Fields. I think he's a Heisman front runner. I think he's gonna have a season very similar to what he did last year at Ohio State. And if he stacks another year like that on top of um, 
what he did in 2019, if he puts together another big season like that, he's the only guy in my mind. He's the only one who can challenge Trevor Lawrence for the number one pick. You know, Penny Swell for the offensive lineman from Oregon is a, is a hot name as the only non-quarterback who could potentially be so highly graded that maybe if a team like the Redskins with a Haskins who develops in year two, if they decide to hold on to the pick and not trade out a number one, is there an, you know, a slim chance that that's how Lawrence slips out of the top spot? It would be a monumental mistake in my opinion, but yeah, that could happen. But if all things are equal and it's a quarterback going number one overall, the only player I think in the, that's approaching the universe of Trevor Lawrence is Justin Fields. And he's not even in that universe. So that, you know, I, mean, I think it, it's pretty safe <clears throat> to show, you know, when I kind of say it that way, how high I am on Trevor Lawrence. Well, Luke, I want to ask you a question. If, if looking at the last couple of draft classes, you know, we've had quarterbacks in 2020 with Joe Burrow, Tua Tungabaloa, Justin Herbert, Jordan Love, first rounders. 2019, Murray, Jones, Haskins, first rounders. If Trevor, if all these quarterbacks – we're entering the 2020 college season as collegiate players. Where would Trevor Lawrence stack up with those guys, in your opinion? Where would he come in, or even Justin Fields for that matter, in the hierarchy of players that we've seen go number one, top five, top ten in the last three years? You know, in the last three years, um, check that. I don't check that, Luke. Last two years, 19 and 20. So I don't think there's anybody going into this season. I'm, I am expecting that I will end up with a higher grade on Trevor Lawrence than any quarterback we've seen uh, in the last two years. I was, what's interesting about last year is, and I'm talking about the 2019 draft, not 2020, Kyler Murray was just such an, uh, 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 an exception to the rule, obviously, in terms of where he entered the draft process, in terms of whether he's going to play baseball, he's going to play football, you know, nobody really had an idea where he was going to fall. And I was really late on that train. I, I was not putting all of my eggs in the Kyler Murray basket in terms of what he was going to decide to do. Um, so he ended up, you know, being a top 10 player on my board. He was behind Dwayne Haskins for me just barely because I really loved that season that Dwayne Haskins had. And I thought he, he had, and I still think the world of Dwayne Haskins, I'm really excited to see him continue to develop in Washington if he gets the chance. Um, but no, I think it's going to be Trevor Lawrence. I think he's going to be the best. I think you'd have to go back to Deshaun Watson at Clemson, interestingly enough, to find a quarterback that I think I will have graded in the same area, the same stratosphere as Trevor Lawrence. I think that's, that's how high the expectations are. I was somebody that, I mean, I wanted Deshaun Watson. He was 1A and 1B with Miles Garrett that whole season for me. I thought it was ridiculous that he fell out of the top 10 uh, and that Cleveland passed him up twice. Um, but, you know, I, I think that, that I don't think there's anybody in the last two years that I would take over Trevor Lawrence. Those other two guys, I think, you know, that, again, there's a big gap between those guys. And, and there are others. Daniel Jones, I wasn't terribly high on. Um, Jordan Love, I had, you know, a good bit lower than a lot of people. So it, there's, there's still, especially, you're only talking about two years. You're talking about guys that haven't necessarily started at all or have, have given you a very small sample size. Um, but just going off of the, the college tape and, and projections and grades there, I think Trevor Lawrence has a chance to be better than everybody we've seen drafted over the last two years. You know, I think it's, this is a tough thing to really assess because, 
when you look at the quarterbacks over the last couple of years who did go in the first round, especially the last two first overall picks, they were not in that discussion at the start of the college season. They were Joe Burrow was nowhere near that range when last August, September rolled around. Neither was Kyle, Kyler Murray. The only player that you could probably say was maybe two guys that were was Tua and Herbert, really. I mean, Daniel Jones wasn't. I, there was first-round chatter, but not top-10 pick. Dwayne Haskins wasn't. Jordan Love was a first-round guy. There were some people in draft Twitter who were on him pretty early, but not on this level. So I think we're looking at a guy with Trevor Lawrence that probably the only real comparison in the last several years might be like an Andrew Luck. And I'm not saying this whole he's the next Andrew Luck or he's the new Andrew Luck, as I was saying before. I don't really buy into that. But when you talk about a player who's so unanimously, you know, considered the guy and has been the guy since he stepped foot on campus, we don't really have a recent comparison to say this is who Trevor Lawrence would compare to outside of Andrew Luck. And Andrew Luck went wire to wire, number one pick. There was no debate, no argument, no, no, it was just, it was a done deal. The minute he played, took his last collegiate snap, he was essentially an Indianapolis Colt. So um, for me, Trevor Lawrence would, it wouldn't even be close, to be honest with you. There wouldn't even be any of these guys that would be in his range as a prospect coming out. Now we've seen vary we've seen varying degrees of success with the 2019 quarterbacks. They at least have a year in the league. We don't know yet what Joe Burrow or Tua or any of those guys are going to ultimately deliver when they get their chance to play on Sundays. But Murray certainly looks the part. I think Daniel Jones has a bright future. Dwayne Haskins, I'm I'm just not sure. I think he has some concerning traits on tape i'm not sure how uh, you know if his processing is quick enough he just looks a little behind in terms of the quarterback speed from the, from the mental part of the game from what you'd like to see but that's that's a rookie issue i mean we've, we see that many many times that rookies need that first season deer in headlights and then the light switch goes off the difference with haskins and some of these other guys is that, you know, Kyler Murray can make up for his learning curve with his legs. Daniel Jones can make up for his learning curve with his legs. Dwayne Haskins doesn't have that skill set. So he is in the pocket. Stephen A. Smith said he did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that was what a freezing cold so, take. I couldn't resist. I'm sorry. I just, yeah. So, I mean, he didn't have that ability. A lot of these quarterbacks who have early career success have that extra trait. Carson Wentz even had the ability to get out of the pocket and make plays. Jared Goff didn't, right? Jared Goff was more of the Dwayne Haskins profile quarterback, and it took him a little longer to get going, whereas Carson Wentz enjoyed earlier success. So Haskins could be on that curve. But Trevor Lawrence has it all. I mean, he's not going to have a learning curve. He's not going to go through any of those things. So I think Lawrence would be a clear over Joe Burrow, over all of them number one guy on my board over the last two years of, of quarterbacks. Well, I think you make an interesting note with Haskins in particular in terms of that everybody has that moment when the light just turns on and you're like, okay, I get it now. I, the speed slows down and I understand what defenses are doing. I, th I think you can point to what happened with Joe Burrow between the last two seasons that he played at LSU. And when he, uh, he spoke to Susie Colbert at ESPN, she asked him about that transition and how he went from a guy who was 
somewhat borderline draftable, maybe a day three guy to be in the number one overall pick. His answer was simple. He said, Susie, I just wasn't very good. <laughs> I wasn't very good last year. I got better. I worked hard and I got better and this happened. So I, you know, with a guy like Haskins, that's what you hope happens, right? Is that the light comes on, he, he puts in the work in the off season and everything starts to click. But that just goes to show you how much we talked about those variables, especially at the quarterback position. So many things can, can lead to success or failure, particularly that position at the next level. And I think that's what's going to make this season so interesting for these top quarterbacks is how do they deal with the expectations? How do they deal with all the different challenges? We talked about Trevor Lawrence's, um, you know, lack of receivers with the injuries. We talked about, you know, the doubts about competition uh, with, uh, with Trey Lance. And with Justin Fields, he's going to have a lot to live up to after the season he just had. So, you know, there's so many different ways this could go right or wrong for these guys. Uh, but if you look across those last two years of draft classes, we're seeing those types of variables continue even at the next level. You know, hot take coming. Uh-oh. Watch out, guys. I mean, are you a little bit worried about Joe Burrow? I mean, at this <laughs> – you, you have to – I think this is what happened with Deshaun Watson. Let's, for, I'll speak for myself. God knows I've had way more misses than hits over the years. But Deshaun Watson was a guy that I just couldn't get why he wasn't that Andrew Luck guy. I didn't understand it. Look at his entire career at Clemson of putting up big numbers and winning big games and winning championships. And, and he, his skill set, he had it all. He could do it with his legs and his arm. And he could process the defenses. And he had the arm strength and the accuracy. He had all those things. And I feel like we got tired of him. I feel like the scouting community, maybe even the NFL, judging by where he went, got tired of the fact that he was just so good. There wasn't a lot of holes to poke in his skill set. And I think what happens with Joe, a guy like Joe Burrow after the fact, we didn't have it coming into the season like we did with, with Deshaun Watson and guys like Andrew Luck and even Trevor Lawrence now. But Joe Burrow's star ascended so quickly that now that – you know, some of that newness is already kind of wearing off. That buyer beware feeling comes in like, wow, this is really just a, a full-time one-and-a-half-year starter guy that played, like you said, with a lot of talent. We talked about it with Tua, a lot of five-star wide receiver talent, a lot of really talented players. You know, is it too much to think that maybe – Maybe Tua was the guy all along and that Joe Burrow is going to end up being a one-year wonder type of guy. Again, you're going to a place in Cincinnati, that offensive line is not ready to protect a, a rookie quarterback week one. So there's a lot of issues that could, that could come about. They're playing in a tough division in, in the AFC North. I, I, I'm, I'm not going to give up on him. I'm not going to say he's going to be a bust. But, man, it, it's easy to see how people, now that the, the dust has kind of settled a little bit from the draft and go, man, if you're a Bengals fan, I really hope we made the right call here. You know, if I was the Bengals, I would have taken Tua Tungvaluwa. I mean, Tua to me was hot take number two. I mean, he was the best quarterback in the draft because we saw more of him. And when you're when you're making that kind of an investment in a position that requires as much information as possible to make the right decision, the player who we knew the most about, who also that information produced a high grade an extremely high grade is Tua Tungabailoa. And if it wasn't for the injury, I don't think Joe Burrow would have been the number one pick, honestly. Wow, I think this sounds Tua... a lot like a Bears fan who <laughs> has Mitch Trubisky instead of Deshaun Watson. I'm just throwing that out Listen, there. Those are One-year starter. We are, not, we are not reopening those wounds, okay? They're still unhealed. 
But I just feel like, you know, I, I got to see more from Burrow. I, I, maybe this is, again, when I talk about the old school scout in me where I, I can't get on board after just one elite season. I, I just, you know, the, the difference of Joe Burrow in 2018 and 2019, yes, it's the kind of progression every evaluator wants to see in a player. It's the kind of development and improvement. But Joe Burrow wasn't 20 going on 21. Now, Joe Burrow's an older rookie. He's a guy who was playing with multiple high-round wide receivers, the same knock people had for Tua Tungavailoa. Very rarely did you hear it come up for Joe Burrow. Um, and you're right. I mean, he's going to a team that isn't ideal for a rookie quarterback who has already been named the starter, and he is expected to be the savior. Does he have it upstairs? Does he have a little Baker Mayfield to him? Is he going to be able to handle coming back down to earth? Joe Burrow is riding the highest of all highs that any quarterback could ever ride. Historic season statistically, personally statistically. Historic season for his team. Heisman Trophy, National Championship. And then all of a sudden, week one's going to roll around the NFL and you're a goddamn Cincinnati Bengal. And this ain't LSU anymore. Is he going to be able to handle that? I think we saw some breadcrumbs that were left along the way during the draft season that suggests Joe Burrow could have a little more Baker Mayfield in him than people are talking about right now. And if that's the case, we're going to be seeing a, a, a player who I don't think will live up to the billing. He will be a good player. He's going to be a good quarterback. But if Tua Tungavailoa ends up being an elite starting quarterback, we could have the Mitch Trubisky versus Deshaun Watson part two. I tell you, what, it's hard to argue with any of that. I think that what gives me when I, when I try to look for why should I believe that that Joe Burrow can be that guy that he can overcome and and the 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 Bengals over the next year or two or three can build enough around him, especially up front, to make him successful and and kind of bridge that gap until he's ready to be that guy in terms of processing the speed of the game and I look to the fact that um, this is a shameless draft wire plug here but we you know we did interviews with a bunch of different LSU guys this year and we did three I think defensive players we talked to Richard Lawrence defensive tackle we talked to Caleb on chase on the, the edge rusher and we talked to Christian Fulton the corner and what we heard from those guys about how those spring practices and those those early fall practices made them literally question their manhood their 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 talent level their ability they were so they were having closed door defensive only meetings privately called by the players to basically say what the hell is going on in practice are we this bad are we really this terrible because this guy is making us look ridiculous in practice. And if we get out there, we're going to look ridiculous because that's what's happening. So they bought into not only his ability to, to carve up a defense and, and be talented, they bought into his leadership style, the, that swagger he has, which I think is you and I have talked about the Baker Mayfield for a while. I have always seen that as kind of a positive. You have been the one that's always been a little bit nervous about 
how that translates and how he's kind of thin skinned a little bit. And, you know, we've seen some of that come out that has kind of backed that up over the, you know, over his career so far, but that swag is kind of like what uh, another part of what made those players um, kind of gravitate to him as a leader. I think he's capable. I think he is able to be that guy. I just hope he can, he can withstand the heat as a rookie, especially until the rest of that team is ready to be, a winning team and I hope those planets align I hope they line up because I think he's talented enough to do it I think he's got the the head to do it um I just hope it happens for for him and the team see here here's the thing Luke is there's a fine line when you talk about the word swagger it's swagger when you're winning it's swagger when things are going well you're suddenly a punk when you're losing you're suddenly arrogant when you're losing Baker Mayfield's persona in Cleveland would be swagger if they were 12 and four last year. He would have moxie. He would be a leader. It's his locker room. When the bottom fell out on the Browns, Baker Mayfield was a crybaby. The same exact Baker Mayfield. All you were doing was changing the win loss, the win column with the loss column. And what we don't know about Joe Burrow yet is if he's on a four and 12 Bengals team, Will he still be viewed as a guy with swagger or is he going to be viewed as a guy with a potential personality issue with how he deals with his receivers on the field, maybe his offensive play caller and other types of conflict that naturally happens during the course of a season winning it's swagger losing. It's something else. And all we have seen with Joe Burrow in, in the spotlight is the results of a winning year. His personality, the narrative around Joe Burrow was crafted during a record-setting Heisman Trophy winning season. Go back to where we started this with Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence never wavered when things weren't going ideal for him, when people were questioning the early start of his season, when he started getting those whispers about having a slump of a year. Trevor Lawrence was never a guy that came across as, oh, geez, here we go. This is a, a prima donna quarterback who is going to be, um, you know, a potential better-than-thou persona. He never, he never became that guy. He was, what I like to say, is just a leader. And to me, does a player exhibit the traits of a leader? And that word is immune from winning and losing. It's, it's, it transcends any season a leader can lead a team even when they're terrible a leader can lead a team when they're great and it's not swagger that does that because swagger is so you know that personality trait can be influenced by the outcome of a game and i i just worry that burrow could end up going down that slippery slope i hope it's not i hope that's not the case the NFL is much better league when we got a ton of young franchise quarterbacks. And if Joe Burrow can bring wins to Cincinnati, I'm here for it. I would love to see that. The Bengals have been terrible since the Boomer Esiason days. A couple flashes there with Carson Palmer. But they need a guy. They need that guy. And I hope it's Joe Burrow. I just, I just hope Ohio doesn't have Baker Mayfield and Joe Burrow, two guys that came into the league with swagger and might leave the league as, as – Players that fans think maybe are a little bit of you know, jerks. I don't know. I, you know, you make a lot of good points, Brian. And, and the one thing I want to get to before we wrap up here, we've seen 
in those last two draft classes, the quarterback classes, we've seen the guys who go into the year as the big names and they still end up being first round guys and top 10, top five guys. We've also seen a quarterback sneak into the first round or, or make a leap because of a great season, because of a, a great pre-draft process. We saw it with Jordan Love going in the first round this year. We saw it with Daniel Jones skyrocketing up the board and going to be, you know, a top 10 pick the year before. I know who my guy is, but I, I want to hear who you think is that, that next guy after the top three that we've talked a lot about in this show. Who are the, uh, any quarterbacks that you think in this class could be that fourth guy to jump up into the first round, maybe even top 10, top 15? So I don't know if I want to go that bold with a prediction, saying a top 10 guy, but the, all aboard the Tanner Morgan train. I think he has a chance to really elevate his game to the next level. He just looks the part to me. He's not necessarily the biggest, doesn't have that strongest rocket of an arm. He's not even the most athletic guy, but he plays the game like an NFL quarterback. He's instinctual in the pocket, makes timely throws, doesn't get rattled by pressure. Uh, and that's a big trait. I mean, one of the reasons why Daniel Jones was a high draft pick is because he was able to withstand relentless pressure at Duke and still make some laser throws. I mean, it wasn't rep in and rep out. And he had a lot of his detractors, especially I think the guys at Pro Football Focus weren't the biggest fans of his. I could be wrong about that, but if memory serves me. But if you look at a quarterback who doesn't get rattled by pressure, that is a huge indicator of their ability to succeed on the next level because the NFL pocket is all about surviving chaos. Some guys survive it with their legs. Some guys survive it with their brains. But at the end of the day, you have to survive that chaos. And I think Tanner Morgan of some of the lesser talked about quarterbacks flashes that trait to me. And, and, and he's a winner, man. He's, he's, he's that kind of guy in the second, third round, I don't, I mean, I don't think he'll be around in the third round, but if early second round maybe sneaks into that late first round conversation, a team like the Patriots, let's say they don't get their quarterback situation settled this year. He's the kind of player I would circle as, as a highly coveted target for teams that aren't going to necessarily prioritize the traits yet look for a guy who flashes enough on the field to say this, this is a guy who's going to win games in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, I, I like Morgan a lot. I, I like the receivers tad a bit more than he does. He's going to have Rashad Bateman this year. He had Tyler Johnson last year. Um, that's going to be a, one of the best quarterback wide receiver tandems in the nation this year. Uh, the guy I'm really high on, I'm really excited about, I hope he lives up to the hype, is Jamie Newman, a guy that played at Wake Forest, and now he's going to be the guy at Georgia now that Jake Fromm is gone. This is a guy who is, you know, 6'4", 220 plus. He's got all the measurables, the, the, the physical traits that you look for. Can he make the transition from playing at Wake Forest to going to Georgia, playing in the SEC against those SEC defenses, and, and still improve his game? Not just be the same guy we saw at Wake Forest, but can he elevate his game? Can he become a top 15, top 20 pick? I, I did a mock draft not too long ago, a two-round a two mock draft at DraftWire, where I had him going number 14 to your Bears because I don't know if you guys will figure out your quarterback situation this year uh, with Trubisky and Nick Foles, but he's a guy that I think if you go to Georgia, if you succeed there, if you, you win games and you prove that you have the skill set to be an NFL quarterback in the SEC at Georgia, it only takes one of those seasons to make yourself a top 15 pick, and I think Jamie Newman has the talent to do that. And he could be, maybe not with the same final draft result, 
but a Joe Burrow type of talking point this year, a player who was okay before he blew up and had that final year that catapulted him into the conversation of one of the first two, three, four, five players picked. He profiles as the guy with the career background and resume or career narrative up to this point where he's been good, but if he has that huge leap in 2020, teams might project him as elite or potentially franchise-level quarterback. And I agree with you. I mean, he has everything you look for. If he can get it done in the SEC, there's no reason not to love his chances at being one of the early first-round picks. And if you want to know who those, who those guys will be as the weeks and months march on, there's one place for you to keep coming back to. And that's It's Always Draft Season podcast because this is all we're going to be talking about, draft fans, football fans, guys and gals around the country who live and die for this game, who love the process of uncovering the next hidden gem, debating the top picks in the class, bringing your hot takes and your freezing cold takes. This is where it's going to happen. He's Lucy. He's Luke Easterling. Luke, how do you like that? Luke? It's a mal- it's a, I know. It and happens. Listen, it's a, it- we were right there before I screwed up. But, hey, look, it's only our first episode, so forgive us. I'm not a blue-chip prospect here, draft fans. I'm like a day three guy, so we're going to be making mistakes here. But he's Luke Easterling. I'm Brian Perez. You can follow him on Twitter, at Luke Easterling. Follow me, at Brian Perez NFL. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast anywhere you find your podcast. We want to give a big shout-out to the Blue Wire Podcast Network for having us and bringing us on board. We can't wait to grow this show through you guys, the audience. So when you do subscribe to the show on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from, leave us a review and drop your questions there because that's where we can really interact with you guys and gals. We'll field your questions. We'll we'll take some of the best ones. We have a really, really fun listener-driven segment that we're going to be breaking out here over the next couple of shows. So make sure you interact with us on Twitter. Make sure you drop your reviews and comments over on iTunes and everywhere else. And we keep it locked right here. We come back next time on It's Always Draft Season. Luke, it was a pleasure, my friend. We did it, man. First episode is in the books. It is. It is. And we didn't mess up until you butchered my name. It's fine. Mm-hmm. It's good. I'm glad. I'm glad Look, to be You deserve it for all the Bears hate that I had to sit here and withstand <laughs> I didn't trade up for Mitch Trubisky. It's Those not my fault. Sucker punches, bro. Well, I'm it's gonna be not good. my fault. You're a Bucks guy. For all you out there don't know, please you, don't. Yeah, I, I, I'm. I, my glass house is so very, very full. Oh no! All of a sudden, you got Tom Brady, so you could take shots at other teams' <laughs> quarterbacks. I know how it is. My we'll glass see. house is very vulnerable here, my hey, friend. We'll see whether or not Tom can do it without Bill. We'll see. All right? Yes, we will. And we'll continue this all fair. Everybody, thanks for joining us. Make sure you check us out next time on It's Always Draft Season. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. 
relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.